time. I have it. I have uh, given it the title "Yearning for More," yearning more for the healing of hearts rather than physical healing or the healing of our land. And uh, my heart uh, was just drawn towards Proverbs six. Then as well, it's a hard passage, and I just want it to be sort of a time of examination for my for each of us personally. And that's what it's been for me as I studied for this and looked forward to this. And then also for you as, you as visitors, the last time I preached, uh, well, I shared last week, of course, about the, uh, the haven. But then the time before that, that I preached, uh, sort of focused on Luke 2. And today sort of goes right along with that. It's not Christmas time, but it's all, always good to uh, look at what the people were anticipating, what they were looking forward to, uh, the, the, the birth of the Messiah, so on and so forth. And are we looking forward to then being able to share to, uh, with others about the second coming of Christ and how important that is? Uh, am I ready for that? And then can we share the gospel with others? And uh, so my little, I guess, uh, synopsis of what the, the, uh, the sermon is all going to be about is... The healing of our hearts through believing and submitting to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will bring about healing of relationships in our families and friendships. It, it will help us endure the hardships and trials of life and continue to help us to have a positive outlook in, in life, thus giving us a desire to proclaim and share the gospel of Jesus Christ and look forward to his second coming. And I think as we look at that, as we look forward to Jesus' second coming. We can look back at what the people were looking forward to in his first coming when he was born in the, in the stable. And uh, I like to tell stories, and I will be using a story to open up my preaching time here. And I did this a number, oh, it's been a long time ago. Um, I used a story out of it's called a book, Sheep Tales by Ken Davis, and I will be sharing about that again. And it just brings about a point, I think, that I want to, that it ties right in with Proverbs 6. And so I want to make sure that I acknowledge that this is where my story comes from, is Sheep Tales by Ken Davis. And the setting is a stable where baby Jesus was born. So that's, that's the setting, we can imagine all the animals in there, that's sort of what we'll be looking at is, is the animals and how they reacted. And then obviously we're going to have characters, the animals in the stable and how they reacted to, they thought the king was coming and it ends up with a little bit of a disappointment, but then also it was a revelation to the animals as well. And so the characters that are going to be involved in this story, the first Sort of the main character is Sable. She's a timid, handicapped rabbit along with her mother. And at this point in life, she's just surviving and has a dismal outlook on life because of her situation. She's handicapped and she's looked down upon. And uh, so as we look at that. And then we have the Bovee sisters. They're Lila and Lily. And these are two cows that are constantly gossiping about tenants of the stable. They have all the information about anything and everyone. And if there's nothing to know, then they make up something. 
And so the Bovee sisters um, are in, in the stable as well. Then we have Rooster. Rooster's in, this, in our story as well. He's prideful, feels like he is a charismatic leader, and it is his duty to let the world know of every new day. Obviously, that's what roosters do. They announce the day has come, but he felt like it was his responsibility to do that. Then he likes to sit, sit on the highest perch that he can find in the stable because, remember, he's prideful so that he can look down upon everybody else. So we've got some characters in the stable. Then we have the sheep. The sheep, they're followers, no leadership skills, never do anything on purpose. They simply react unthinkingly in the moment and don't like to make waves. So they're just a peaceful, generally the, the sheep are peaceful and they don't like to make waves. The atmosphere in the stable, think about this. If you have these, this, this mix of, of characters in the stable and um, there's a lot of pride there's some fear, there's pettiness, and cruelty abounds among the animals. So it's not a good atmosphere in this stable. So let's think about that as well as I uh, share the story. Then the event that's coming up is obviously, there's rumor that the arrival of a new king in Bethlehem, that the great book foretold that he would come to their home, that he's going to come to their stable. This is causing quite a stir, causing the stable to become very sad and a dark place to live in. It isn't dark from lack of sunlight. Even on the brightest day, the shadow of this darkness chills the stable. It comes from a subtle kind of evil. Not the kind that causes you to recoil in horror, but an insidious evil that oozes from unseeing eyes, creeps from unkind words, and slithers from uncaring hearts. That kind of evil eats away at the soul and destroys all hope. So as we get started in this story, um, illustrating Proverbs 6, let's keep in mind, this is a time of examination and it, it, for myself. I'm not doing this to point fingers at anybody else. I'm doing this to point fingers at myself. And to keep in mind, it is very important. It is a heart, there are heart issues involved here. And is my heart ready to meet my Savior? And that I can be excited to share about the second coming of Jesus. So that's what I, I want to challenge all of you this morning. Now to begin with, it is nightfall. And it is the, the day that has been predicted that this, this king is going to arrive at the stable. And everybody's sort of having a hard time settling down. And the rooster obviously is up on his perch. He's looking down. He's watching, waiting, anticipating. Nobody can really sleep. And uh, so they sort of settle down. And um, obviously, from his vantage point, the rooster's up there. He's, he's going to make that announcement if the king does truly come. And so he keeps peering out towards the inn down the road. And pretty soon he sees something coming down the road. And then he sort of thinks to himself, this could possibly be the king. And, uh, and so he doesn't make a huge announcement, but just sort of a subtle way. This could be the king that's coming. Not loud, not boisterous as he normally does because he's not sure. And so as we look at the rooster, he's, he's trying to do his duty. And then pretty soon uh, this, this party goes to the inn 
And then the, inn owner, the owner of the inn comes out with a lantern and he escorts this couple into the stable and he looks dejected, the rooster looks dejected and says, my mistake, false alarm. And uh, we just get a peasant and a pregnant woman. That's all we get. It's not the king. And so obviously the rooster was disappointed, but he, he let them know that um, the rest of the, the stable folks know that, yeah, this is just not what we had expected as far as the king. Lila and Lily, of course, they're constantly chewing their cud. And, and in chewing their cud, they're also constantly talking and yakking and doing things. And, and as, they, as, as a couple is brought in there, um, the lady's riding on a donkey. And as they come in there, they look at each other. And they start chattering under their breath and saying, why do we want a donkey in here? We've got a nice stable in here. Why would we want a filthy, disgusting donkey and bring downgrade our stable. And obviously they're keeping up their, their chatter. They're keeping up their uh, things that they do best is putting out lots of unkind words and so on and so forth. And, but then they sort of all settle down. And as the night goes on, all of a sudden, the lady screams out. And, and the rooster says, oh, no, not now, not tonight. Surely she can't have this baby here in our stable. And he's sort of disgusted, and, and it's quite a ruckus there. And uh, she keeps wailing, and, and pretty soon, yeah, the baby's going to be born. And there's chaos in the stable. There's all kinds of chaos. I mean, the woman is crying in pain, and pretty soon the baby's born, and the baby's wailing, and then the donkey starts braying, and it's just a mass chaos in there. They don't like it. They just, it's totally... Not what they were expecting. They were expecting a king. And pretty soon the baby was wrapped in a, in a cloth and laid in the manger. And everybody has sort of settled down for the evening. And as conversation goes on, the donkey then goes on to relay to, to the sheep. Said, you know what? You know, guys, this is, you know, there's a, the great book foretells about a great king that's going to be born, coming to Bethlehem. And the donkey says, and that's the king laying in the manger there. But some of the animals looked at each other sort of skeptical. Who can believe a donkey anyway? He's just a filthy old donkey. And so there's one person in there in the stable that believes. It's the rabbit, the crippled rabbit, Sable. She believes. Ha! If the great book says that this could be a king, this might be the son of God. There might be hope for me for healing, physical healing, that I can be normal again. And so Sable has this hope that there is healing going to be maybe there's going to be healing tonight in this in this stable i might be healed physically but everybody sort of settles down and and sable obviously is still looking forward to the potential physical healing and in the morning obviously the rooster makes his announcement like he normally does but he's not quite as prideful there's been a subtle change in the stable something underlying the tone has changed a little bit the animals have taken on a different attitude amongst themselves and there just feels different in there just feels totally different and there seems to be some type of brightness emitting from the manger itself it's like they look at this and what's going on really what's happening they look at each other sort of puzzled 
One thing that's really changed is the Bovee sisters, they weren't chattering. They were quiet. They were contemplating, what is this change in here? And so as, as the morning goes on, different things, the day, as, as the day wears on, everybody sort of notices in everybody else's attitudes has changed. The coolness and resentment are melting away and it's being replaced by patience and civility. My goodness, there hadn't been any civility in this stable forever. There's always this, this backbiting and everything else going on. And as the day goes on, everybody sort of, they want to sidle up beside the manger and pretty soon somebody comes up and bumps them away. It's my turn to stand here beside the, we want to see this baby too. And everybody sort of, all day long, they want to take their turn and uh, as the baby is in there. That evening, as everybody settles back down to sleep, Sable keeps thinking, boy, I'd really like to be close to that manger as well. But if I make a big scene, Rooster up there on the perch, he's going to scold me for making such, because he couldn't really hop. He had to just sort of flop and, and get over there beside the manger. She had to. And so... As she makes her way over there silently, trying to not to make any noise, she looks up at Rooster. Rooster sees her, looks down at her, and he does something unusual. He nods his head and just sort of, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go over there. So there is a change in, in the stable. Nobody can figure it out. They don't know what's happening. And uh, she, she wants to, she creeps close there, and the baby. And she says, just if I can just see him and see if he's really human, if he's really alive, feel the softness of his skin. She gets close. Obviously, a rabbit's not very big, not very tall, but she gets close to the manger there. The baby sort of turns its head and looks down, opens his eyes just for a moment and looks at Sable, the rabbit. And then his arm flops out over the manger and it happens to touch Sable's head. And Sable thinks, well... I don't feel anything. Shouldn't I be feeling something, a powerful surge coming through my body as I'm being healed? If this is truly the Son of God? And, but she doesn't feel anything. Not physically. She doesn't feel anything. But she feels different. She feels excited. Something has changed in her heart. She had been bitter about her situation in life. But now, all of a sudden, she feels different. Her heart has changed a little bit. She goes over and she flops over to her mom and says, she tells, every, tells her about everything that has happened. She's joyful. She's happy. She says, he looked me in the eye. He touched me. And I feel different. And I feel just safe, warm, secure. It's just different than before. Mother is almost ready to ask her a question, a question that is nagging in the back. She wanted to ask, so are you healed physically? And before she gets that question out, Sable falls asleep, and she's resting peacefully. Next morning when everybody wakes up, the visitors are gone. They're not there anymore. They packed up their bags and left. But Sable, she's excited. She has, is, has, her personality has changed. She feels brighter and fuller. And then everybody sort of contemplates, 
The presence of the baby king has changed the stable forever. And the sounds of praise and celebration went on all day and long into the night. Never was there a more joyful barnyard. And that was, there was, a, there was healings of the hearts. There's healing of the hearts that happened. Because the king had truly visited that stable even though they didn't realize it. And their hearts were changed. So keep that story in mind as we look at Proverbs 6. Let's look, let's open with Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. These things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. When I was studying this, I had to look at all seven of those and think to myself, what condition is my heart in? Do I harbor any of those things in my heart? And why do I harbor those things if I have something like that in my heart? As we look at verse 17 to begin with, a proud look. A proud look. Somebody would think of the rooster. He's haughty. He's sitting up there. He's looking down on everybody else. He's scolding everybody. He's, he thinks he's the best. He's always preening and his feathers, making sure that he looks the best. Do I do that? Do I want to look the best? Or am I a humble servant? And as we look at that, uh, a psalm came to mind. Psalm 101. And I'm going to be reading a lot of scriptures this morning. Basically letting the scriptures do the preaching. And reaching your hearts. Because these psalms speak deep into our hearts. Psalm 101, I'm going to be reading all eight verses. I will sing of mercy and justice to you, O Lord. I will sing praises. I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away and shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty, heart, haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. My eyes shall be on the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He who works deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. Early I will destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Powerful words there. God does not want those things in our hearts. A lying tongue, Psalm 120. That's also found in, in verse 17, the second point there of the six or seven abominations. Psalm 120. In my distress, I cried to the Lord, and he heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. 
What shall be given to you, or what shall be done to you, you false tongue? Sharp arrows of the warrior with coals of the broom tree. Woe is me that I, that I dwell in Mesca, that I may dwell among the tents of Kedar. My soul has dwelt too long with one who hates peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Talking about peace, wanting peace. Not only that, but a lying tongue. And it asks the question there, what shall be given to you? What shall be done to you, you false tongue? Well, in verse 4 it says, sharp arrows of the arrow. In return of arrows of evil words will, the arrows, will come the arrows of divine judgment from the warrior. And the warrior, that represents Jesus Christ. And so to attack, attack, the arrows of evil words will come arrows from Jesus Christ to attack with divine judgment. Then it talks about the hardwood with coals of the broomwood. The broomwood is a very, very hard, uh, hardwood and it, it produce, produces intense heat. And that represents the wrath of God against judgment as well. And so arrows, judgment against a lying tongue. And this person was bemoaning the fact that he's dwelling in a land of deceit and unrest. It's a hard situation. What kind of land do we live in today? There's lots of lying going on. There's lots of deceit. But we still can have hope. We can still live amongst that and not be part of that, but have words of truth to be able to share with those around us and to be sharing the gospel with those and have hope. Verse 17, it goes on to explain the innocent blood. And I'm going to be reading from Isaiah 1. Isaiah 1, verse 10 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you, come to me, when you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I, not, I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Re rebuke the oppressor. Defend the, defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. But now there's hope here. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. There's a promise right there. We have to yield. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And that's what it's, I think it's what it's talking about, the innocent blood there. We can go through all kinds of rituals and sacrifices like they did in the Old Testament. But if we're not willing 
to leave behind our sins. Then are we truly trusting in God and believing in God? And have we turned our hearts over to Jesus Christ? And one thing that came to my mind as far as Canaan, I shared last week about Cain and Abel. Cain, he didn't have a good heart situation. His heart wasn't right. He didn't bring what was required of him. And he sinned. He killed his brother. Then if, if we look at verses 16 and 17, it talks about practical repentance and washing yourselves clean, put away evil things, cease to do evil, learn to do good, rebuke the oppressor. Those are the practical things that we can do. But then in verses 18 through 20, it talks more about a personal repentance. It has to come to the heart. You can be cleansed. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat of the land. We can be washed clean. And so we have to remember, let's not be uh, guilty of innocent blood. Just going through the rituals, just going through, going to church, just going through what I've always done. Let's make sure our hearts are right and in true uh, as we walk with God. Then as we look, continue to look on verse 18 in Psalm 6, not Psalm, Proverbs 6, verse 18, a heart that devises wicked plans. And obviously, as we look at the different characters in the, in the, uh, in the story, the Bovee sisters could probably be considered one of those. They were constantly putting out chatter there, and they were constantly... Uh, causing disruption, causing strife in the stable. Let's look at Genesis 6, 5 through 8. Genesis 6, 5 through 8, and it reads this way. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have only whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord because he was walking with God. His heart was right with God. And so we can truly, there again, if we're walking with God and let God direct our hearts, we can walk with God. Even though we might have hard situations, we don't have to have a heart that devises wicked plans. We can do what God requires of us. Then also in verse 18 in Proverbs 6 there it says, swift feet running to evil. And there, let's look at Isaiah 59. Like I said, lots of scriptures, but let the scriptures speak to us. Isaiah 59 verses 1 through 8. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from, from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue has muttered perversity. No one calls for justice, nor does any plead for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. They hatch vipers' eggs and weave the spider's web. He who eats of their eggs dies. 
And from that which is crushed, a viper breaks out. Their webs will, be, will not become garments, nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and the act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. And their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they have not known, and there is no justice, justice in their ways. They have made themselves crooked paths. Whoever takes that way shall not know peace. There again. We have to decide. I have to decide. I have to choose. Just like I shared last week with um, those four important things to do. Um, God loves me. He loves everybody. Jesus died for me. No, he would die for everybody. And so that's what we have to look at this as well. And not be swift in running to evil. In verse 2 there in Isaiah, our iniquities separate us from God. God doesn't run away from us. He's always there. But we turn away from him. And our iniquities separate us from him. And so we have to make sure that that is not our situation. Then as we look at verse 19 in in Proverbs 6. False witness. And there's... In each of these points, there could have been a sermon preached on each of these points. But I'm just sort of doing a, an over, a quick overview and making sure that we are examining our own hearts. Where are we at? A false witness. Psalm 27, 12 says, Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries. This is David speaking. For false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. He was asking for deliverance from false witnesses because he knew it wasn't true. Who else had false witnesses stand up against him? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They had to get false witnesses in order for him to be sacrificed for me, to shed that blood on the cross for, my, for me. So as we look at all those six, six things that were mentioned, a proud look, a lying tongue, innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, swift feet running to evil, false witness. Those are the six things mentioned. But then in the last verse, verse 19, discord. We could say that discord can come from any of those six sins. And so we need to realize that there is hope for us. We are called to operate in unity as a body of believers Overall, as a church of Jesus Christ, and not tear each other apart, not be so set on our own ways that we can't commune with other believers and thinking that we're the only way. Jesus is the only way to heaven, and we have to remember that. Then during my study here, I found it sort of interesting in Job 5.19, it reads this way. I had never really given that much thought as far as that verse. It says, he shall deliver you in six troubles. Yes, in seven, no evil shall touch you. Um, so just sort of, we can look at Proverbs and we can look at that Job, that uh, reference in Job there. And as we look at Job's life, we can be assured, Job had a hard life. He lost a lot of things. He went through hard things. He was, he was accused of turning away from God by his friends. He had a hard life, but Job stuck as we say, stuck to his guns. He kept saying, 
God is my salvation, and I am going to still believe God. And he was restored. And so as we look at that, it seems sort of a hard and a dark passage to look at, but there's lots of hope. There's lots of verses that, that, that we can gain encouragement from. There's lots of verses that encourage, us, encourage unity and accountability and discourage discord. So I've got, a, I've got five verses here that I'll be reading that sort of relate to that. James 3.16, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Envy and self-seeking. Selfish people. We are born selfish people. We need to renounce that selfishness and repent of that. Because it says what? Confusion and every evil thing is there. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. There's so many promises in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 1.10 Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Unity. We're supposed to be working together. Not doing like the Bovee sisters or Rooster. Romans 14.19 Therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace, and the things by which one may edify another. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be edifying and lifting each other up. And I'm, I'm talking to myself more than anybody else. Romans 12, 4 and 5. For as many, for we have... Let me start over again. Romans 12, 4 and 5. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many as one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So those are some verses that we can be an encouragement to each other and we can be encouraged by others as well. And we need to have Jesus' heart. We need to have a servant heart. Wanting to serve each other and not tear each other down. One thing here, just as Sable did, she had an encounter with the king. All of us need to have an encounter with our king, Jesus, just like Sable did. And then, not only Sable, but it went out from there. The rest of the stable had an encounter with Jesus. And that's what we're called to do on this earth. We're supposed to go out and spread the gospel and to be excited about Jesus' second coming so that we can share the gospel with them. So that's my challenge to you. Jeremiah 29, verses 11 and 13, very familiar verses. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. We can't just give Jesus a tiny little part of our heart. It has to be all or nothing. We have to surrender everything to Jesus. But then we also have steps. We know the Bible. We know things that are spelled out there. And as Chris prayed this morning, I pray that if anybody has, that is here this morning that has never accepted Jesus as their hearts, there is a way. 
And we are reminded that we all have sinned. Romans 3.23. All of us have sinned. All, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's not just a select few, but it says all. So we're all in the same boat. But we can encourage each other to come to repentance. And that salvation is through Jesus Christ. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that is available to us. We can have hope. Because in Romans 6, 12 through 14, it says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in, in, in its lusts, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace." So there are lots of verses that we can go to. Let the Bible speak to our hearts. And that's what I discovered when I was doing this. There's so many passages. And verses pertaining to forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9. We all know that verse, I'm sure. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so I can trust that we can do that. And I want to do that myself. Hebrews 8.12 For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. As far as the east is from the west, he won't remember our sins. Proverbs 28.13 He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. So we need to do our part. We need to yield to Jesus Christ. We need to examine ourselves. We need to know that Christ is going to help us. Then I'm going to, read, I'm going to leave on a positive note with, and I'm going to read Psalm 32, verses, the, the first five verses. And the title, different titles that I've heard, uh, descriptions for Psalm 32, the first five verses. The joy of forgiveness. Then another person describes it. It is better to confess sin. Then the description of these five verses. These verses describe the great satisfaction and joyous freedom of the soul whose sin has been covered, canceled, and cleansed by the holy, righteous Lord. So let's read Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5. And I'm going to be reading from the New Century Version for these five verses. Happy is the person whose sins are forgiven, whose wrongs are pardoned. Happy is the person whom the Lord does not consider guilty, and whom there is nothing false. When I kept things to myself, I felt weak deep inside me. I moaned all day long. Day and night you punished me. My strength was gone as in the summer heat. Selah. Then I confessed my sins to you. And didn't hide my guilt. I said, I will confess my sins to the Lord. And you forgave my guilt. Selah. So there again, if we make that decision to confess our sins, he will forgive us. If we seek him with all of our heart, he will be there for us. 
So I just want to challenge all of you and myself as we look at Proverbs 6. Let's not have those six things there that cause discord among families, among friendships, among churches, among communities, among the world. Let's get rid of those things. And I'm challenging myself more than anybody else. Because what does it do? It causes discord. So as we come before him tonight, uh, this morning in prayer, Ernie, I think after the prayer, I want to sing the song I requested. Everybody join in with him. It's a chorus we're all well aware of, and let's sing it through twice. And then after that, I will have um, the blessing upon the food and the, fellow, and the fellowship as well. So let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we come before you this morning as we're challenged with these six, six sins that you hate. They're an abomination. Lord, we know that there are more, but those are the six underlying ones that Satan loves to use in our lives. Father, as we come before you, we just want to yield our hearts totally into your hands and ask for forgiveness so that relationships can be renewed, so that we can have, we can feel fuller and brighter and want to share the gospel with others around us. Lord, that's what you have created us for, to have that fellowship with you so that we can share the truth, the gospel with others so that everyone might know you so that they can confess as well, so that they can spend eternity with you, Lord. That's what we want to do. We want to have that fellowship with you. There is peace and unity in you, Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you that you are not a, a God of discord, not a God of confusion. You are a God of, con, of, <clears throat> of order and peace and unity. And we thank you that you can do that for us. So as we come before you this morning, help us each to examine our own hearts and to yield to you as the Spirit calls us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.